live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, we start off the program every day with the comment that we live in interesting times. Today is Election Day. When I signed off at 3 o'clock yesterday, there had been an order in place um, suspending the election. That whole dynamic has changed. Let's start off the program by walking us through how we got here, including some of the politics of this, because I think it's important to understand. Now, it might, might not make any difference, but it's important to kind of understand the politics. The one election that everybody can vote on is the state Supreme Court race. You have the conservative present sitting Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly. He is running against a circuit court judge from Dane County who is very liberal. Her name is Joan Jill Karofsky. The state Democratic Party has put in over a million dollars in trying to get Karofsky elected. Now, look, this is it's a nonpartisan election, but it's breaking down along party lines. No, no doubt about it. When you were looking at how this election was expected to proceed, that the conventional wisdom up until recently was that this was a race that the, the liberal candidate was going to win. Why? Because today is a day of a Democratic presidential primary. And keep in mind, up until recently, everybody thought that there was going to be a hugely contested Democrat race. Remember, you had all these different Democrats that were running, and I think everybody thought, okay, that this was going to be, you'd still have a number of candidates in the race, this would be highly contested. And that would gin up turnout on, on the left, so that that would make it more likely that somebody that's going to come in and vote in the Democratic primary is also going to vote for the liberal Supreme Court candidate. That was the conventional wisdom. That got turned on its end when the essentially the Democratic race is all over but the shouting. I know Bernie Sanders is still hanging in there, but, but he, he's not going to win. And there's not really been any sort of challenge. So if people are turning out to vote today, it, it's not because of the presidential primaries. At least that's not this driving thing. People aren't going to have all these various choices that are going to go on. On top of this, in some of the, the hotbeds of, of Democratic turnout, for example, the reason Tony Evers is the governor is because of a huge turnout in, in Dane County in general and in the city of Madison in particular back in 2018. And, and, and that's great. That, that's, that's what got him elected. But what you have now is in the era of coronavirus, you have a lot of the students, for example, they're not in Madison anymore. So, I mean, that, that's gone by the wayside as well. I bring this up. Because up until a couple weeks ago, there was not a push from either party to suspend the elections. And, and, and again, even, even as we started to see the development of coronavirus and things like that, it, it's not like you, you had 
Democrat legislators in the Assembly or the Senate trying to introduce legislation to delay the elections or things like that, because there was a thinking that, okay, there, I think there was a thinking that, number one, maybe this isn't going to be that big a deal, and number two, we, we still have these advantages. Well, what's happened is, again, with the Democratic primary for president not having the impact it's had, and with looking at where, like, the early voting totals and where absentee ballots are being requested, I, I think some people on the left said, okay, a lot of our conventional wisdom isn't playing out as well. So then, coupled with the legitimate concerns about, you know, safer at home, there started to be more of a drumbeat that, hey, okay, now maybe we need to do something to do to stop the election. Now, to me, and I've said this before, if we were going to delay this election, the time to do it <clears throat> would have been three or four weeks ago. Because the problem is you, you need to have a considered approach to this and you need to have people that get together and say okay this this is how we're going to change it because it's not just a question of changing the election day it's a question of changing a lot of the other rules that surround the election and unless you do it in this thoughtful and considered fashion what you're going to have is a stone cold mess and that's what we've been looking at for the last several days all right so with that backdrop what happens is you have some people particularly the Democrats, who decide we want to shut down the election. All right, So they go into federal court in Madison, and they make various arguments about why the election should be delayed. The district court judge, federal judge in Madison, says, well, look, I, I'm looking at the law. I don't think I have the authority to delay the election, a decision that's correct. But, he says, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to start tinkering with the election laws because I, I think this would be the right result. Well, here is the problem. When you start tinkering with election laws that, that all work together, what happens is it's kind of like if you have one of those strings on your shirt and you, you start, you just pull this. Boy, I don't like this one. I, I pull this, and pretty soon the whole thing starts to unravel, and then the more you pull it, the worse it ends up getting. All right? That's kind of what happens. So you had this federal judge in Madison, Judge Conley, and, and he decided all right, I'm going to start changing the laws. So he said, I don't have the authority to delay the election, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to extend the time that people can request absentee ballots. The law in Wisconsin says absentee ballots have to be requested by 5 p.m. the Thursday before the election, and that's in order to give the clerks enough time to get the absentee ballots and then to turn them around and get them back to people. Now, if you've waited till 5 o'clock on the Thursday before the Tuesday, you're cutting it close anyways. But, but at least that's what's built in. The judge says, no, I'm going to extend that deadline. I'm going to allow people to request absentee ballots until 5 p.m. the Friday before the Tuesday election. So as a practical matter, when you do that, you pretty much guarantee that it is unlikely that a large number of people who make last-minute requests are going to be able to get the ballots returned to them. That, that's, that, that's why you've got that Thursday deadline. By pushing it back a day, you pretty much guarantee that people who make those last-minute requests, are, as a practical matter, aren't going to get the ballots. Okay, so then the law says in Wisconsin that all absentee ballots have to be returned to the clerk's office by the close of polls on Election Day, 8 p.m. on Election Day. All right, well, so now the judge has allowed, in his ruling, has allowed people to request the ballots 5 o'clock p.m. on Friday. 
knowing that there's no way a lot of people are going to be able to get the ballots in a timely fashion, much less return them. So then the judge says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to invalidate or I'm going to put on hold that provision of the ballot, of the law that says that the ballots have to be returned by 8 p.m. And what on Tuesday? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that people can continue to vote until the following Monday, April 13th. So you get in this situation where it's not even just a question of things having to be postmarked by Tuesday, but you're in a situation where people who have requested ballots are going to be able to vote for an entire week. And that definitely would lead to what we call vote harvesting, which is the various parties going and looking who's requested absentee ballots, whose absentee ballots have been returned, call them up, say, hey, can I come over and get a vote? It's it's just... Uh, again, it's one of these things that you start pulling off part of the law, and then everything starts unraveling, and you kind of have to start making it up as it goes along. On top of that, there is a state law that says that clerks are required to start releasing the results of an election on Tuesday night after the polls close. So the, the think about what that would have led to if the idea is, okay, we're, we've got to announce the results, and they say candidate X is ahead by a 1,000 votes right now, but you still have another week to vote. Well, what a mess that would be. So then the judge says, no, 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 I, I, I'm going to invalidate that portion of the law. But it's kind of like making it up as we're going along. And every time you pull that string harder, what happens is things unravel more. So what happened then is that the state, the U.S. Supreme Court got involved. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals had gotten involved earlier struck down parts of the ruling, and yesterday the U.S. Supreme Court, after I got on the air, comes in and, and overrules the, the judge, the federal judge, saying, hey, hey, look, th- this, is, this is the deal. You do not have the authority to extend the voting for an extra week. And the bottom line is all absentee ballots have to be counted, have to be either postmarked by today or delivered by today, which is something that I I think makes eminent sense. And it's unfortunate that we've had all this uncertainty. If the federal judge had just followed the law in the first place, we would not have had that uncertainty. All right, so that's that's the absentee ballot question. Then yesterday afternoon, or late morning, Governor Evers, who a couple days ago had said that he didn't think he had the authority to cancel the election, and a couple weeks ago had not thought canceling the election was necessary, he issues an order doing exactly that, canceling the election, moving it to June 9th, and then essentially saying, I'm going to allow people to continue to vote for the next two months. You can request ballots, you can vote. So essentially we would have a two-month election period. Well, okay, the state Supreme Court got involved in that and came down and said, you you do not have the authority to do that. And that is a ruling that I don't think surprised too many people who are familiar with the law because, as the governor said a couple days ago, he didn't have the authority to do it unilaterally. Now, if the election were to have been delayed, I think it was important to have done it weeks ago. And this would have been a nice thing to see sort of bipartisanship come on if we thought that this was important. But but that didn't happen. These last-minute efforts to try to change the rules I think we're non-starters to begin with, and I think have led to some of the confusion and some of the angst that is out there. But the bottom line is the election is going on as scheduled. If you have voted, your votes will count. 
If you are voting today in person, that's fine. Your votes will count. If you have requested an absentee ballot and you have received it, what you have to do is make sure it is postmarked by today. If if not, well, alternatively, you have to drop it off at, at the clerk's office. So so that's it. But the bottom line is all ballots have to either be postmarked by today or dropped off. And as I was saying earlier, the one aspect of the federal judge's ruling that I think still is, stays in effect is clerks aren't to release results until next Monday. But, but that's where we are. Now, a number of, of areas have decided that they're, they're, they're going to cut down the number of polling places. For example, as I was mentioning earlier, in the city of Madison, they typically have 92 polling places. They have 66 open today. So they've reduced the number of polling places by about a third. In the city of Milwaukee, my understanding, and I, I guess people can quibble with the numbers, but I, my understanding is they have about 180 polling places. They've made the decision only to have five open, five out of 180. And as a result, you, you have, at least we're getting the anecdote, anecdotal reports, of, of incredibly you know long lines, people having to wait a couple hours. Thank goodness the weather is decent. But again, you, you've also <clears throat> you've got the whole coronavirus aspect and things like that. But but that is where we stand. That is how this is how we got there. I, I think again, you got to understand the politics a little bit to understand this, and the fact that for the longest time there, there wasn't a push by any of our elected officials to try to move the date of the election. And then this all happened at the last minute. But once you start, like I say, once you start tinkering with the election laws, it, it just leads to all these other consequences. Like the governor's order yesterday, we're going to delay the election for two months, but that means people can vote for two months. huh? Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. The election is occurring today. My question to you is, should it be? Should we have moved in to stop this a month ago? Should we have moved in to stop it a week ago? Should we have stopped it yesterday? Are there any concerns about, gee, you know, why do we only have five polling places open in Milwaukee instead of 50? You know, what's going on here? I, I will tell you this, this is a mess. There's no question about it. It is unfortunate that we could not get an agreement earlier on, but given all the realities and all the uncertainties, if you try to delay it, should we have gone ahead with the election today? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss in just a moment. And by the way, if you went out to vote today, and I, I, I didn't, I haven't left the house, I Voted, you know, early absentee a couple weeks ago. But if, if you voted today, what was your experience like? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I voted at my normal location in Franklin about 1140 a.m., took less than 15 minutes start to finish. I felt safer there than I do at a grocery store where everybody is walking around coughing. It was very well 
organized. Jeff, yes, the election should still be held today. If you are going, if you're concerned about going in person, too bad. You've had plenty of time to vote in person earlier. Request an absentee ballot. I voted in person two weeks ago. I, see, I'm, I'm not that dismissive about it. I, I understand that this is is a realistic concern for people. I'm getting some texts from people who are also saying, hey, I requested my absentee ballot three weeks ago and, and I haven't gotten it in the mail yet. You know, what's, you know, what, what's going on? And, and I guess I, I understand that concern. At the same time, if I had made a request three weeks ago and I hadn't gotten it, I, I wouldn't be waiting till the Thursday or Friday or the day before the election to be raising questions about, you know, where is where's the ballot? But I, I understand we want to make voting easier. 855-616-1620. My point is I, you, you can't do it piecemeal and, and haphazard. You know, if, if we were going to do this, I think we had to have done it weeks ago with an idea of maybe just suspending everything instead of what the governor wanted to do yesterday, which is kick back the election two months and allow people to vote for two months. 855-616-1620. Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I think the election should should go ahead as, as planned. Uh, my wife and I voted in person, early voting the first day we could, live in a small town of Lawrence outside of Green Bay. Um you could get absentee ballots. They had to drive up voting in Milwaukee and other areas. To me, you know, if you're whining now that you have to wait in line, you know, that that's too bad. And, you know, I think part of it, too, is just the lack of leadership shown once again by our governor. You know, he was all in favor. We had to have the election. We had to have the election because it, the polls, them and the DNC were looking at, showed that that was the best thing for their Supreme Court nominee. And then yeah. it turned out that didn't work. Okay. Now we have to postpone it. I mean, he, he's just so ineffective as a leader. I, I, I just wish we could get Scott Walker back. Maybe it's time to recall Governor Evers. Well, th- thanks for calling. Look, and, and, and I, hate, I hate to introduce the, the politics into this, but, but there is a level of politics because, like I say, you, you didn't have people on, and, and the Republicans are getting a lot of blame. And, and I, understand, I understand where that's coming from. But, but part of the politics of this is you didn't have Democrats in general collectively pushing for this and, until, you know, the, the last minute, which is, again, un- unfortunate because if, if, if you had a bipartisan effort, we could agree and you could agree what the rules were going to be because that's that is part of the thing. You know how if we're going to unravel this, you know, if we're going to take all these different state laws and we're going to unravel it, you really need people to sit together in a room and say, all right, how are we going to do this? I I think the key would have been a couple weeks ago to say, okay, we're going to suspend everything. You know, we're we're not going to go ahead with early voting. We're going to suspend everything for for 60 days, and then we're going to restart the whole process. And but but once you start allowing people to vote, it, it changes the whole dynamic. I mean, keep in mind in the city of Milwaukee and in the city of Madison, people were voting a week before anybody else in the rest of the state were was allowed to vote. So I mean, how how do you move back on that? We're going to continue this. If you're on the line, please hold on. And if you did go out to vote today, like I said. I'm curious as to what your experience was. All right, back with more in just a minute. By the way, our number, 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. When this should have happened, and this is an indictment of of both the governor and the, the legislature, this should have happened, in my opinion, 
no later than, than March 20th. That was a Friday because keep in mind it was that, that next Monday that the governor issued the safer at home order and it went into effect Tuesday the 24th. All right, what, what should have happened at the same time, if the governor is saying, okay, look, I think that the coronavirus situation has gotten to the point where we need to issue the safer at home order, we've got this election coming up. And so what this is what I, I think needs to happen. You know, we need to get Robin Voss and Scott Fitzgerald and my people and the Democratic minority, and we need her to get everybody in, in the same room over the weekend before we come out and roll out this safer at home initiative, and we need to say, look, let, let's figure out what we're going to do with this election. And to me, the obvious answer would have been, we just put everything on hold. We, we say, okay, no early voting, boom, boom, boom. We move all the deadlines back two months or whatever. Because th- the truth is, there's nothing magic about having the election today. Once you miss that timeline, though, it, what you have is you just you have an absolute mess leading to, okay, now the governor wants to let people vote for two weeks or federal judge wants to allow vote harvesting. That here, you know, the law says the polls have to close on the 8th, but even after the election, I'm going to let people vote. Th- th- this, this created such a mess up and down the aisle, and there's a lot of blame to go around for this. And unfortunately, I think it was just a lack of leadership all around. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Um, Hi, Lucy. I just want to hello. I just want to say before I say what I want to say that I've been a poll worker for years. I bailed at this time. I've been active in get out the vote campaigns in Milwaukee, in the city. So I think I know a little bit about this. In my opinion, the governor and the legislature should have gotten together the day after the CDC warning. That's what really Mar- did it for right, me March and for 13th, most of the volunteer yep. groups. March 16th. It was, it, was, it, was, it was two days before St. Patrick's Day. Um, so it must have been Sunday, March 15th. Yeah, well, the, the president declared said, okay. a national emergency on the 13th. But regardless, right, you're, we're, yeah. we're, we're in the same and range. It's the 13th or 16th, but, yeah. whatever. Yep. Yeah. They should have gotten together, in my humble opinion. They should have simply reset the election date for this one year to the latest date it could have been, which is June the 9th. Um, They didn't know. I don't think a lot of them accepted how bad the virus really was going to be, or they didn't know when Wisconsin was going to peak. But they had the moment to do it then, and they should have. what happened in the interim is that all the political calculus began to happen mm-hmm. and the possibility of getting the Democrats and the Republicans to agree on anything went away. And at the same time, we were realizing that this virus isn't anything to mess around with, particularly in in the crowded areas of the world, not just Wisconsin or the United States, but the world. Um, Milwaukee, if you look at a map, is a hot spot. Yep. As is Dane County a little bit, but it's it's really Milwaukee. Milwaukee, no, Milwaukee people, County has about fifty percent of the the, yep. the known co- reported coronavirus. About fifty percent, right. and and I think even right. a disproportionate number of the deaths. Yeah, but there is the culture of voting in Milwaukee, and this is where I can tell you, poor people in Milwaukee go to the polls. Absentee voting is not that easy. Early voting is, but remember the mayor and the. Public Health Commission shut off early voting because of fears of the virus spreading. Early voting is pretty easy because you can take in your ID and show it to a human being. Doing that absentee is not easy, and I did it. And people don't do it. They want to go to their polls. 
a lot of people have to register that day because they've moved and they have to re-register. Um, so it really does disenfranchise a huge number of people, especially when you have a two-hour wait. And the poll workers in Milwaukee who get paid the grand sum, I think for a whole day, you get $130. I think that's right. I usually work a half day and my check's 67. So um, the poll workers are mostly old people. And my medical people told me, don't you dare go out there and work the polls. And my son would have killed me. So I'm well, one so of the many, ask, many poll workers. Let me Go ask ahead. you, just because just, I, am, I am sort of curious. In, in, in Madison, like I say, my numbers are 66 of the 92 polling places were able to remain open. And I understand, you know, Madison's different demographics than Milwaukee. Five out of 180, th- does that seem disproportionately small, that, that they couldn't keep more than five open? No, because I know what happened, and a friend of mine is a second-in-command over at the Election Commission. The poll workers bailed, and we bailed for the very good reason that most of us are in in at least one or two risk categories, and they couldn't get replacement poll workers and get them trained soon enough, and it's not easy to be a poll worker. You know, it looks easy, but there's a lot that goes into it. I think in Madison, maybe they have a lot of younger people that work the polls. That's, or maybe that maybe they enlisted public employees who were furloughed. I, I don't know. But I do know in Milwaukee that they were scrambling trying to get anybody that had been trained to, to work the polls, and people just said, I'm not coming out of my house. And if you live in Milwaukee, you can kind of understand that, given the Milwaukee oh. numbers. No, th- thanks for call. Well, I appreciate it. No, and I mean, I'm, and, I'm, and I get it. I mean, I that that's why I, I think we're in agreement that if, if this, this should have happened a, a few weeks ago, and and I think it is. It's fair to say for anybody who thinks that this is a mess, it, it's fair to say I think it's kind of a bipartisan, bipartisan mess that you know it, it ended up getting political. And and again, whether whether you're looking at the 13th, which is when 13th of March is when the the president declared the national epidemic, or the the 16th, which is the CDC order, or certainly at no later than the end of that week, the 20th. Because I mean, keep in mind, Governor Evers kept kept having these shifting kind of whack-a-mole strategies. I believe it was that Friday the 20th, and it was like, okay, well, 50 people can can get together, and then that morphed into no, we have to have the whole safer at home thing. But certainly over that weekend, when they were considering doing the safer at home thing, that would have been the time, I, I think, to get everybody together and say, look, let, why don't if this is going to be a mess and we're going to be putting the safer and home order into effect through April, let, let's figure out what this is going to mean for the election. And, and maybe we just need to put everything on pause. And, and that by that, I mean, OK, we're going to stop any early voting. We're going to stop requests for absentee ballots. We're just going to reset the calendar for 45 days or 60 days or wherever it's going to be and give everybody a a fair chance because Lucy is exactly right. Once you start monkeying around with it after the early voting and the absentee stuff has come in, then then you introduce politics into the equation and everybody's looking for, okay, what's going to be the gain? Unfortunate that this wasn't done earlier. We're going to take a break back with more calls in just a moment. Um, This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I've been, I've been talking about elections and since I, I start, well, I've been doing a radio show in this market full or part time since 1995 and, and here at TMJ full time for 22 plus years. And, and it's interesting because on election day, we're always talking about the, the elections where people are calling in and they're, we're talking about, hey, who did you vote for in this race or what race do you want to talk about, et cetera. Isn't it interesting that at least for the last week or so, a week or two, I, there's no conversation. It's interesting. There's no conversation about, you know, the Supreme Court race. Other, I mean, people understand the party lines. There, there's no talk about the Milwaukee mayor. There's no talk about who's going to replace Chris Abley. There, there's all the conversation. It's not about the candidates. It's about the process of should the election be held today. Pam in Appleton. Pam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I went to vote in Appleton, and it was so easy there the people were all behind the plastic shields there were national guard people helping out with the regular pollers that i recognized from previous polls and i'm wondering why milwaukee didn't use national guards to open more polling places than five because that seems ridiculous what were the national guard what were the national guard guardsmen doing what, what role did um, they have they were sitting at desks helping with certain things, and I only know they were National Guards people because when I was checking in, the lady told me, said, oh, we have these young National Guard people helping us today. So they weren't, I mean, they weren't in uniform or anything, but she said they were there helping, and there were some younger men and women that were not usually the poll workers right. that are at my polling place. But I'm just wondering, right. I know Evers called out the National Guard. Why weren't they used in Milwaukee? Well, and I think that's that's a fair Pam. Th- thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. That's that's a fair question. Now, our, our previous caller, who was a volunteer poll worker, who I think Lucy's in her sixties or seventies, she said, and she made the decision. I understand that you know she didn't want to go out and didn't want to expose herself. She's in that risk group, and I, I certainly understand that. And I, I know that that a lot of the poll workers, the typical poll workers, are older. I, I do. I, I think that's a fair question, given that that you know we're talking about. Typically, like I say, 180 different polling places, and you're down to five. That's that's an astronomical number of poll workers who decide that they don't work. That that's like 80 to 90 percent of poll workers saying that they wouldn't come in. And I do think that that's a fair question because for people who are complaining about the lines, if 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 you'd managed to figure out a way to keep five other polling places, some of the larger ones open, you you would have reduced the lines, giving people the options. Now maybe. I don't know, maybe the National Guard's folks are doing other things, but um, I think it's a fair question. It just strikes me as a huge, huge number that you end up having to cancel. But, again, my, my larger point is once we let this go on and on, it, it, this was kind of inevitable, unfortunately. 855-616-1620. Mike on the east side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for waiting. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, yeah, First off, like you, I enjoy going election day and voting. Yeah. Yep. And always have. I don't. I'm going to be 68 in a few months. Um, I really didn't want to go out and uh, vote today, but I'm going to anyways. The fact of the matter is, I think that this should have been delayed. I think even though the governor was a little late with it, which he was, uh, do we have to have Robin Voss and Scott Fitzgerald be the Grinch that stole Christmas again. I mean, they really didn't have to go and make a stink about The object of voting in America is to have the people vote. And I think anything that does anything but 
uh, enhance the chances of people voting is a hindrance to voting and is, in a way, voter suppression. Now, I really don't want to go that far, but let's be honest. There was no reason for anything like this to have happened. Um, I didn't receive my, my ballot, even though I asked for it uh, last week. Uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday I called in, uh, or wrote in, I should say, to the city. And it didn't arrive today. And I voted in every election since 1972. And if I don't vote today, I've got my kids, my son's in line right now. Um, and he's voted in every election since he could vote. And my daughter's going to vote. And I, my kids are that way because of me. And, Mike, uh, let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately curious. You, you said you, you requested your absentee ballot late last week, like, like last Thursday. Is that what you said? Wednesday or Thursday it was, yeah. Wednesday or Thursday. Okay. My, and, and my question, it's a sincere one. I mean, we, we've been dealing with this, this age of coronavirus and safer at home for a few weeks. I'm just curious, why did you wait till a couple days before the election to request the ballot? Okay. Well, I thought I explained that. Uh, but let me say again. You like, you like to vote in person. If, yeah. I, if there was any way that I'd be able to vote in person, that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I mean, there's I could, okay. I could have gone and voted or that to me, that's not voting. I want to go there and see the poll people. Yeah. I want to I want to be in a line with people. And uh, it's just something that that I grew up with. And that's what I want right. to do. OK, and, Mike, thanks uh, for the call. I appreciate it. No, that, that's fair enough. I, I get it. I was just I was just kind of I was sort of curious because I, I agree with you. I, I I try to run through brick walls to make sure that I'm going to vote. And at the same time, I mean, Look, I, I'm not as concerned about as some people are about coronavirus. I don't want to get it. I don't want to give it to anybody. I'm doing the safer at home and the, the shelter in place and all that type of stuff. Um, I guess I made the calculation a couple weeks ago, the first or second day that early voting in my community opened up, that it, my, my wife and I drove over there after I did the program. And, you know, we, we were one of, oh gosh, there couldn't have been. There were three or four poll workers, and there were you know maybe including the two of us like maybe five or six people so i mean it trust me it was a lot more crowded if you had gone to the costco or the walmart or the pick and save or sendex or whatever it was a lot more crowded and people maintained the social distancing and i felt that i could do it it safely and i felt very comfortable doing that and, and so you know we did it so i just didn't even have to fool with any of this stuff today and and i do i i get it i appreciate you know wanting to show up in person and and stand in line and vote. Brent, who is calling us from Arizona. Brent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you? <coughs> I where I in Arizona are you calling from? Uh, Chandler, Arizona. Okay, sure, got it. Which, I, which I actually was the home of the Milwaukee Brewers at one time <laughs> in spring. Yeah, Park. I remember. Back in the day, yeah. Uh, okay, what do you think about this? Well, I think it's a shame that. It's come down to this. Now, Ohio, the governor, up until the last minute, he was able to get his health official to close all the polls. So that was done at the last minute. They suspended everything at that point. They froze everything, and he moved the election to June, I believe. So it can be done. But... uh, I don't understand why you're having a Supreme Court election at a time when it's normally the primary. That I, that's the part that is the the issue here because 
if they could have ejected that and moved it to November, I think there would be no problem of getting this election. Why are you having a Supreme Court, which seems like a November type of Okay. Well, no, actually, uh, Brent, thank, thanks, for, thanks for the call. No, thanks for calling. Let me explain this. This just and I, that's, I, that's a fair question. All right, in Wisconsin, all the quote unquote nonpartisan races are held in in the spring. So the April date today is the date for the nonpartisan states, and I say that in quotation marks, but nonpartisan state Supreme Court race, the nonpartisan circuit judge races all across the country, the mayor's races, the county executive races, the aldermen, the village trustees, those those are always held in the spring, and it's the April date. The November elections are the partisan races, the Republican, Democrat, etc. Races for Congress, races for U.S. Senate. Um, that that's always been the distinction, and that's kind of the way it works in in Wisconsin. Um, now, what they did is the parties, since we had to have a general election anyhow, they made the decision that you're going to have the presidential primary on the same day as we have all the nonpartisan races. Now, that, like I say earlier on, strategically, months ago, Democrats thought that that was going to benefit liberal candidates who were running for nonpartisan offices. Now, it didn't work out that way because the luster has come off the, the primary. But the, these April dates for the nonpartisan races, and that, that's in the state constitution. That's, that's a matter of law. It's just that we tack the presidential primary on it because it, it makes sense. I mean, they could have had the presidential primary two weeks later, but why would you, you know, spend the money? But, but it is... That's kind of the dynamic that's going on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Back with a lot more. I want to shift the focus in the next hour of the program, and I want to talk. Well, I, I've got a very specific question. It does relate to the election today. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, it, it, I, I, I'm a numbers guy, and I'm kind of a do-the-math guy, and I'm fascinated by by numbers. All right, so everybody's talking about disenfranchising and voter suppression and things like that. Here's something interesting. The la- last April, we had a state Supreme Court race, and the state Supreme Court race is the top election on on the ballot i mean as far as individuals i understand there's referendum and things like that and let's put aside the presidential primary for just a minute i'll have a comment on that but you know contested elections last year we had a state supreme court race lisa neubauer who was the liberal candidate brian hagedorn who was the conservative candidate um in that in that race there were approximately 1.1 million votes cast now there, there were down ballot races as well, which means I mean you had you had people running for aldermen and you had people again running for mayors and things like that. But but the premier race was the state supreme court race. It drew 1.1 million voters. That was last year. Now this year, okay, I understand it, it's it's different because you've got the presidential primary, which is clearly, at least we always thought that that was going to be turning out voters. I, I, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Whenever I say this, I, I get one or two nasty texts. Don't you understand? Bernie can still win. No, he can't. I mean, I, I live in this place called the real world. And again, I, I understand that conventional wisdom back in December, 
January, February was, okay, this is going to be this big deal. Lots of people are going to be focused on what's going on in Wisconsin with regard to the presidential primary, and that that's just completely and totally fizzled. I mean, I, I don't know anybody other than, like, the hardcore activists who are saying, hey, i got to go out and i got to vote for Biden or for Bernie Sanders because I think most people recognize that this race is all over but the shouting, even though Bernie is still holding on there. So you, you don't have this this contested Democratic presidential primary driving turnout like people thought they would. So in any event, here, here's last year, 1.1 million. This year, and actually there's an interesting analysis uh, by Craig Gilbert from the Journal Sentinel. Okay, this year, now keep in mind the total number of people who voted in last year's Supreme Court race, same time, same election, was um, about 1.1 million. This year, Voting so far, 800 and as of, I, I believe, yesterday, 860,000 absentee ballots have already, already been returned to the Wisconsin election clerks. So and that, now that means, that means the people who voted by the mail, or it means people who, like my wife and I, who, who went in and, and voted in person absentee, you know, and they put it in the ballot. So, but that's 860,000 already. There have been a total of about 1.2, a little bit north of 1.2 million absentee votes requested. So, uh, I mean, I I don't know what it's ultimately going to turn out to be, but my guess is, would it be unreasonable to think that um, today and over the course of the next couple days, since you can vote absentee as long as it's postmarked by today, would it be unreasonable to expect that at least another 200,000 votes come in in that fashion? Maybe not. I, I don't think so. And then, of course, you've got all the voters that are actually out there voting today. Now, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people that's going to be. The only point I make is my guess is that there is going to be, when you compare turnout, even in the era of coronavirus, and even with the limited polling places and things like that, my guess is that turnout for this Supreme Court race this year is going to substantially exceed the turnout for the vote last year when we weren't in a coronavirus era. Now, look, I'm not smart enough to, to tell you you know who's gaining the advantage from from this and of course in in Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee you've got you know contested races that that might be driving more people to the polls although because again of everything that's been going on with the pandemic i, I think politics and the different candidates i mean the, the elections and the races just haven't developed like a lot of us thought that that they might i mean i i've said this before i mean i thought with tom barrett and lena taylor you were going to have um just you're going to have fireworks over the course of you know the last six weeks or so for the mayoral campaign and and there really haven't been because the the typical ways of campaigning you know candidates going door to door candidates you know having the these forums it just it just hasn't materialized it's been an election like no other. I, I mean, I, I seriously wonder how many people are paying attention to the Crowley-Chris uh, Larson race for Milwaukee County. So on the one hand, you have these elections, which in a normal time would clearly be driving turnout. 
this this year less so because we've got other larger things on our mind. But I just do raise this because this is one of the interesting things. Keep in mind, last year, 1.1 million votes approximately cast in the state Supreme Court race. I'd be curious to see what that number is, but my guess is we're certainly going to blow way past that. And if you look at the fact that as of yesterday or this morning or whatever, already you had 860,000 early votes cast, I, I think it's it's pretty clear. Now, that doesn't mean that if we had postponed the election, wouldn't more people have been able to vote. I, I just point out that I, I think you're, you're, you're going to have a lot of people who have figured out ways to vote, and I say that for whatever it's worth. All right, which brings me to what I want to discuss next. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't care who you voted for. That, that's, that, that's not the issue. But my question is, have you voted or do you still intend to vote? And how did you vote? Did you, By how did you vote, I mean physically. Did, did you go to the polls today and vote? Did you request a ballot absentee in the mail and then figure out how to get your photo ID and get it witnessed and send it in? Did you do what we did, which was go to you know City Hall and do the early voting? Have you voted and how have you gone about doing it? And then I'm going to ask you a couple follow-up questions, including, like, why did you do it your way? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have voted or intend to vote before the polls close today or before you have an opportunity to get your ballot in the mail, how did you do it? And why did you choose to go about it the way you did? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you voted, how did you do it? And why did you choose to vote in the fashion that you did? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, my wife and I, we early absentee voted. We, the, it was like either the first, I think it might have even been the first day that they allowed it, went over in the afternoon. The whole process took about five minutes, felt perfectly safe. We did it because, at least from my perspective, I wouldn't presume to speak for my wife, but I, I, I mean, I ended up, I, I wanted to vote. I didn't want to fool with uh, the making the mail request, you know, and photocopying this and getting the thing witnessed. It just seemed easier to drive over to our, our the courthouse where this was going on, go into City Hall and do it. Couldn't have been easier. But I, at the same time, I, I admit, even though I, I think I don't consider myself in the, the risk group for coronavirus and stuff, I don't want to be exposed to it. I don't want to be exposed to people who are sick, and I, I don't want to – I, it, to the extent I might be carrying something that I don't know about, I don't want to get other people sick, but I, I, that's how I chose to go about it, to make sure I voted. 855-616-1620, Ed in Oconomowoc. Ed, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I did the mail-in balloting, uploading the image of my driver's license. I, okay. you know, as, as you did, I think I did that as early as I could because... You know, in addition to canceling a vacation the last week of March in New Orleans, you know, the, it, I thought it was pretty clearly going to impact this election, and I didn't want to be forced to go anywhere near a voting booth. Did it? Uh, did you have any problems? Was it was it easy to do what you did? It was very easy. I think I received the ballot. You know, because I, again, I was early. I didn't wait until the last rush. I got the ballot. Uh, you know, a couple of days after I did the submission, and right. um, you know, mailed it in. 
uh, it had to be two weeks ago. Would you do it again that way? I mean, I understand we live in we live in weird times, you know, interesting times. But uh, let, let's assume this has died down. Hopefully by November. I mean, would you do it again, or would you just go and vote in person? You know, I prefer voting in person, but with you know being a, a father and sort of the surprise that every that you know every day brings. Um, I kind of yeah. like to have it done <laughs> ahead yeah. of time. Um, no, fair enough. But I do I I do kind of miss the experience of being there and seeing you know my my uh, friends and colleagues there. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I, again, I'm, I'm one of these people, and I understand this is kind of Norman Rockwell-ish, but I, I, I love the process of going down and voting on Election Day. I, I just do. I love standing in line and seeing your, your, your neighbors and stuff. I, I just think it's a, it, is, it is a quintessential American experience. I understand they vote in other countries as well, but I, I love everything about it. But, you know, this year just made the decision for a variety of reasons that I, I wanted to vote and I wanted to vote early. And I, I you know, and, and again, I don't I don't consider myself to be in the highest risk group for this coronavirus thing, but I don't want it. I, I don't want to I, I don't I don't want it. And I don't want people around me in the event. Like I say, I would be a carrier and not know about it. I don't want to get anybody else sick. Dave in Paddock Lake. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Did you vote today or did you vote in the past? Well, we went in seven and about seven ten this morning, my wife and I. There was three other people there, and we just, you know, stayed our six feet apart, went and did our thing, and uh, it was just like it always is, pretty easy. No no, no different, same old people that have been there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, so it was nice. I mean. So, was there, so at least where you voted, there didn't appear to be any shortage of workers or anything like that, huh? No, there was uh, five inside, and there was. Actually, an officer and a couple other people outside directing people, you know, not to get too close. Right. And right. They had some parking spaces right. blocked off that normally were used. But, no, I was, other than, okay. uh, you know, it, like I said, well, no, everybody no. had masks on and everybody was behind plastic. Right. So, were, were, yeah, you, just, were you like always? Were you appre- Let me ask you: Were you apprehensive about going to vote? I mean, were you a little bit hesitant about showing up in person today? Okay, God. No, okay, thanks I, for the call, Dave. I, uh, I, I didn't. I, I, I pre- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it actually it was grew back at the studio to cut you off. But I know, I get it. That's, I mean, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, because I know there's, like I say, the, the numbers right now, at least 860,000 of us have, have voted early in some way, shape, or form, and, and that number is going to go up. There's no question about it. But, I mean, there's there's going to be, at least my guess would be, hundreds of thousands of us who, who show up and vote in person today. 855-616-1620. Francis in Germantown. Francis, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Jeff? I, I'm well, thank you. Did you vote early or did you vote in person today? I just voted about maybe 15 minutes ago out in Germantown. And the okay. uh, place I usually vote at, they shifted you over to the high school, usually District 4 is on Pilgrim Road, and went over to high school. And it was probably one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had voting in my going to be 66 years. Um, clean. I mean, there was no, you know, close-to-close people. Probably wasn't within 10 people of anybody except the people that directed me where to go, gave me okay. my ballot, signed it, left. I probably wasn't in there less than five minutes, and it was probably one of the most, like I said, enjoyable voting I probably ever had in my life. Let me ask you the same question I asked the last caller. Were, were you at all apprehensive or hesitant about going in and voting in person today? Were you worried about anything? None at all. The reason I'll tell you why, Jeff, I drove by on my way there to the Menards, 
and a couple of the other uh, stores on my way to Bolt, and the lot you, the lots were jammed with cars. I mean, so if people going to Menards where there's probably 50, 80 people in the shopping or the grocery stores, when I went in there, it was the most simplest thing. Nobody was around. It was just clean. They set up with the plastic. I mean, no, I didn't feel anything of any worry or concern to vote, and I'm glad I did it. Good enough. Thanks for the call, Francis. I appreciate it. Barb in Glendale. Barb, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, did you vote today, or did I you vote earlier? I voted this morning in the town of Lisbon. I was there at about 7.15 this morning. Um, I could have read the sticker wrong, but I thought it said I was voter number 453. Um, so I don't know if they're counting absentees yeah, or the envelopes must, early. Yeah, they must um, be but, counting the envelopes, yeah. yeah. Right. But when I walked in, I was asked to sanitize my hands. In fact, they sprayed my hands down, <laughs> and I went in, presented myself. It was a very clean, safe, quiet experience, but I I didn't do the absentee ahead, and I, I knew I, I do enjoy going in personally as well. Were you, let me ask you the same question I've asked the last two callers, were you apprehensive about showing up today? Were you a little bit worried? Did you wake up and say, my God, I I don't know what I'm going to be walking into? Were were you worried at all about that when you showed up? Um, Originally, I was on the fence. I, you know, sometimes the attitude might be, well, this election might not be as important as others, but I felt I had an obligation to do my normal voting, and my husband would have been concerned that I was going to do it, but... When I drove past our town hall, I thought, you know, they're going to they're gonna make sure that their workers and volunteers are safe. I'm doing my thing to make sure I'm safe. Um, let's get this done. So I, I had no apprehensions. So you didn't discuss this with your husband. You just went ahead and did it, huh? <laughs> I told him I might do it, and he kind of shot me a look, but I did it anyway. <laughs> it, it sounds like your husband and I married the same women. I, you know, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, that, thanks for the call, Barb. I, I appreciate it. Yes, I, I do. I, it's not that my wife doesn't consult me on things, but I do think from time to time it's it's there, there's a difference between consulting me and there's a difference between asking permission, and that's just all fine. It works out just fine. Um, one more call before we take a break. Victor in Pewaukee. Victor, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hey Jeff. So yeah, every single year for the past you know seven years or so, like clockwork in January, I go to the Pewaukee City Hall and I register for an absentee ballot for the entire year, which is uh, right. which is what you're allowed to do by law in Wisconsin. And so right. yeah, every time it happens, I, I never have to worry. I got my ballot four weeks ago. I sent it back two weeks ago, and so it, it's a great experience for me. Mm-hmm. Even though so I do that's just how you do it routinely. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Thanks. Thanks for your call, Victor. I appreciate it. So I, I guess I guess the bottom line here is: look, I, I, there's a lot of people that have figured out ways to do this, and you obviously have to be in your comfort level. And I would never encourage anybody to do anything that they think would put their health or their safety in in danger. I, I just I wanted to give some of the people an opportunity to, who especially some of the folks who voted today, an opportunity to describe their experiences, and and you know you can judge for yourself whether you feel comfortable doing that or not. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Back with much more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, 
I always try to look for a little bit of positive news, and I understand this is there, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, and I don't mean to underplay it. But one one of the things that we're starting to see, and again, I'm going to kind of do the math guy. It, it appears that some of these kind of apocalyptic models that we we got a week ago or two weeks ago don't appear to be panning out. And and this isn't to depreciate the significance of coronavirus. And particularly if you are in a vulnerable population, you, you don't want this. You don't want it, period. But you especially don't want it if you're in one of the, the, the target groups, uh, people above a certain age, people with, you know, pre-existing problems. I mean, the, these studies are starting to come out about the people who, who've passed away, and they, they have certain characteristics together, underlying health issues, including hypertension, for example, other sort of um, pulmonary problems, and, and they tend to be older. Not exclusive, but, but those are the underlying sort of things. Nevertheless, it's a big deal. But if you will remember, I mean, just, what, a, a week or so ago, you know, the White House said, okay, well, we, we've got this study that says that, you know, we're concerned that 100 to 240,000 people might die, and the media runs the headlines, 240,000 people to die. And now it appears that, that some of these models aren't, aren't panning out, that maybe it's because social distancing is working, maybe because some of the, the numbers that were put in were, were bad, maybe it's, we are in uncharted territory, so I mean, I get it, but I mean, some of the good news is they're, they're saying, for example, that America's most influential coronavirus model has just been revised, and, and its estimates are, are downward. Now, that doesn't mean you, you don't continue to do what we're doing, but, but it appears that maybe we're going to get over this a little bit quicker. In, in Wisconsin, and I, I'm, I'm happy to say this, this isn't, when I say this, sometimes people think that this is a criticism of the Evers administration. It, it's really not. It, it's, it's good news. Two weeks ago, you know, we, we had this press conference, and, and they came out and they said, well, we've got this model from Johns Hopkins, and the model says that unless we do social distancing, unless we put in this safer-at-home thing, we're looking at 22,000 22,000 positive cases of coronavirus in Wisconsin, and we're predicting 400 to 1,400, 1,400 deaths. Now, again, this and the deaths by tomorrow. So tomorrow was the the, the, the April 8th. That was the the day that was set. So, I mean, 22,000 positive tests, 400 to 1,400 deaths. Well, I mean, the good news is, Maybe it's because social distancing is working and we're taking this seriously and we need to continue to do that. It's also, my guess is, the model was screwed up. This, the, the, the data that they were using, again, worst-case scenarios, because instead of 22,000 positive tests, right now I think the, the number we have is 2,500, 2,515. All right, and and I appreciate that maybe that's a lagging indicator because there may be some people out there that that have it but haven't been tested or, or don't have as bad as symptoms. But but e- even even if you double that and say there, there's five thousand, it's still way below twenty two thousand. And as far as deaths, the, the most recent death number I have it's it's eighty nine, which is an unacceptably high number. 89, which is a far cry from 400 to 1400, and and that that's that's good news, and that's I only raise this point to say that 
you know, if we looked at, at some of the models and the numbers that we were looking at two weeks ago or even a week ago nationally and statewide, and we look at how things are playing out in reality, maybe it's because we're all doing the right thing. Maybe it's because the, the analysis and the models were flawed. Whatever it is, it appears that maybe things are a little bit better. You know, it's interesting. New York City. They have an uptick in the number of deaths today, I think, you know, and and New York is just a completely different world. It it hit New York earlier because I think of all the international travel and the density and things like that. But even though the the death numbers are up today in New York City, they they still, they they think it's a lagging indicator. That is that they think that it's, that the people that are passing away today are people that were diagnosed and hospitalized a couple weeks ago. They think even moving forward, Maybe they have flattened the curve, gotten over the hump or whatever. So, though, you know, that, that's, all, that's all a good thing. But we still, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, no question about it. But at some point in time, some point in time, we have to figure out how we're going to start coming out of this. Because we, we can't shutter businesses for, forever. And, and I understand that whenever I say that, I always get a handful of people who will text me and say, don't you realize if it saves one life? Well, I, I, I'm not being cavalier about life. I, I understand that. But you do have to, at some point in time, have, have a balancing. We can't say to the people of this state or the people of this country that you're not going to be able to go to work unless you work in certain industries and you're not going to be able to go about your, your life forever. We, we, we can't do that. And the truth of the matter is we... We can't wait till there is a vaccine. We're, you know, we're probably best case scenario a year away from a vaccine. So we're going to have to get to a point where we start interacting. So the question is, how how do you do this in a moderately safe fashion, and, and how do you do it in a way that prevents the widespread spread of this, so that the, the medical system doesn't get overwhelmed, which is essentially what we're going to be looking at until you get treatment and or a vaccine for for coronavirus so yesterday after the show i I needed to kind of get out of the house and i I said to my lovely and charming wife i said look we we need a couple things from the grocery store and i need some gas for the car i hadn't filled up the hadn't put gas in the car for three weeks i said i tell you what i'm just give me a list i will run over to the grocery store and pick some stuff up gonna go to the gas station then i'm coming right home so that don't that that's what the plan was so I drive over to uh, the grocery store, very close to where I am. I walk in, and I would say, conservatively, 60% of the people in the grocery store and the employees, 60%, and that might be conservative. It actually might be closer to 75% of people had masks on. Some, some of them were like the, not the high-end, the nine, N95 masks, but the, you know, some of the, like the, the, the cloth mask, the, the paper masks, or, you know, a lot of people had the cloth masks, you know, they were wearing scarves or whatever. But I would say voluntarily somewhere between 60 to 70% of, of the people, just, and this is just my experience in, in the grocery store, had, had these masks on. And they were doing it voluntarily. There's, there's no, order to do it now keep in mind wearing wearing the masks doesn't prevent you from getting sick but it makes it less likely it's not a guarantee that if you are sick and you sneeze or you cough or whatever your particles are going to you know transmit to somebody else so by you wearing a mask you're, you're actually 
<clears throat> doing stuff along with social distancing to help other people from, from getting sick. But 60 to 70 percent of the people were, were doing that and still, you know, maintaining distance and things like that. All right, we got to figure out a way to, to start to reopen the state. And I'm not saying it's going to be today or tomorrow, but in, in the next, you know, week to 10 days, we got to figure out a way to, to let people start going back about their, their normal lives. And, and, and maybe it'll be two weeks, okay? I don't want to get hung up on exactly when that is. But I found myself wondering, are, are, are masks the solution? For example, you know, that, that dog rumor that I always talk about that works, you know, by herself or with one co-worker who we've shut down. All right, you know, if, if we were to say, okay, businesses can open up, but we want the people to be wearing masks. Would, would, would that go a long way to letting us get back to normal? If, for example, let, let's look at barbers and hairdressers and, and all those folks. If we were to say, okay, here, here's the deal. We're, we're going to let you open up. But the deal is, you know, we, we expect you to, you know, you wear masks and we want the clients, your clients to end up wearing masks. Is this a way to get us reopened quicker would you feel again comfortable going into these stores if we said all right if you're going to go into the store we expect you to be wearing some sort of mask uh the people that are working at the stores we want them to be wearing a mask this doesn't get the restaurants opened up this doesn't get the movie theaters opened up but but what about some of these small businesses that have been closed down all right is is this perhaps a, a solution and a way to start getting more people back to doing what they do for a living. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are masks the solution? And I, I guess, all right, if you're if you're a barber, if you're a hairstylist, if, if they were going to reopen next week and the rule was going to be they've got to wear a they've got to wear a mask and you know you should wear a mask. Would, would that be enough? Would you be willing to, to go in and say, okay, cut my hair, color my hair, do whatever? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's Tech Jeff. How does a barber cut someone's hair while wearing a mask? I'm all for opening everything back up without a mask. Well, all right. I'm just trying to find kind of one of these middle grounds. And by the way, if you're uncomfortable with that, if you're, all right, if, if, you've, got, if you've got a barber, for example, or a hairstylist who's going back to work and they're, they're going to wear a, a mask to stop you from getting sick and they want you to wear a mask or something like that while they're performing their service and, and you don't feel comfortable with that, well, you don't, you don't have to go. But but I think some people might. Let's talk to Molly in Oconomowoc. Hi, Molly. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. All right. How do we get back well, open? And is, what do you think about masks? Well, okay. So I was telling um, your program director that um, I'm a shopper for a uh, delivery service. Like I shop right. and deliver for a company that contracts with grocery stores. So I in the store on average, probably I'm filling about six to eight orders a day. So I'm okay. here six to eight separate times in a day. The use of masks has increased, um, I'd say last week, maybe 20% of people are using them. This week, probably more like 50%. And I'm out in uh-huh. the walk at a couple of the stores here. Um, the thing is, is that people are making them from home. I mean, making them from scratch. 
Two, they're not medical professionals. They're touching their face anyway. Yeah. Gloves or no gloves, it doesn't matter. They're contaminating everything with gloves because they're touching everything. They're touching their mask. They're adjusting it. It's not helping. If you're a medical professional and you've been taught how to use PPE, that's one thing. But the general population is not trained to know what to touch and what not to touch and when it's contaminated and when it isn't. That's that's the, the difference. So really, unless you know how to use it properly, it's totally pointless. So you, you kind of think that this is maybe one of these kind of feel-good things, but it's really not doing anything at the end of the day. Well, and you know what? I'm sure somebody who has um, more knowledge um, would probably disagree with me. But the way that I see people using it in my everyday shopping, um, I don't oh, think no. it's helping because, again, contamination everywhere. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, it, it, it is kind of interesting because I was um, at a different grocery store last week. I, 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 don't, I don't go out that often. My, my wife does most. But I'm trying to do a little bit more. And there was the, a gal who was the, the, check, the cashier, and it was interesting. She had the mask on, and I watched her, and then she pulls the mask down to, to talk to the, the gal that was, like, bagging the groceries. And I, I did kind of want to say that that sort of defeats this, this whole purpose of this. But, but at the same time, the CDC is now, I think, essentially taking the attitude of it can't hurt. And, I mean, I'm, as more and more of us are adopting this, I, I'm just wondering if, if this – is this a way to ease back into getting stuff open? And, again, I, I see, I, I feel, I, I understand this doesn't help the restaurants and it doesn't help the movie theaters, but I really do feel for a lot of the, the smaller businesses there, and I always use the example of the dog groomer who has very, very little, only partially because my dog desperately needs to get her hair cut, but it, it's the, the dog groomer who has limited sort of, of contact with, with people. And, and we are, you know, we're going to have to reopen stuff sometime soon. I mean, can, can I see a show of hands? I mean, everybody who had dental appointments that have been canceled over the course of the last month, and now I think that they're, they're looking at trying to, you know, reopen and get people back to being able to go to the dentist, you know, effective like in the next couple weeks at least. At some point in time, you've you got to start doing that. I mean, you know, people have to go in for oral hygiene and things like that. We're going to have to recognize that there's going to be a point where we're going to start opening things up again, not in an irresponsible fashion, but still doing it. Bill, who is calling us from Door County. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Um, you know, this is like a lot of things. Some, some incremental improvement would help. I think in addition to the mask, adding gloves to the situation would make a big difference. See. The previous mm-hmm. caller made a good point. Knowing how to use PPE makes a huge difference. But all of these things help. And when we're trying to just continue to cut down the number of people that expose, the less that we um, have a chance to expose each other, the better. Uh, and we've right. got to start to look at getting things open again. Right, right. And and I think, you know, one of the things, you know, one of the things, Bill, that I think we have to do is, is recognize that a one-size-fits-all approach that doesn't work. I mean, I, I, every day I, I look at the coronavirus map in Wisconsin. I, I don't want to talk about New York or Detroit. That That's different. But I look at the coronavirus map in, in Wisconsin, and what, what's going on in certain parts of the city of Milwaukee is much different than what's going on where you are up in, in Door County. And, and so rules that might make sense for heavily hit areas in Milwaukee – might not make the you know we might not need to do that up in you know in in Sister Bay for example and and I, I think so I think we need to be smart about that. 
Absolutely. We've, we've got to be more specific, just like you would treating any other disease or any other situation. It's got to be site-specific, and it's got to be specific yeah. to the concentration of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> thanks, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Again, I'm not... Um, I'm not saying okay, we we want a coronavirus outbreak in, in Sister Bay. N- no, but but it, it's different than the, the the some of the hard hit areas in the city of Milwaukee. You don't have the population density. You don't have you know the people who are are the carriers, for example. And 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 then and then if it turns out to be wrong, if, if okay, so we we reopen Door County, for example, and, and we allow the hairdressers to go back to work and the barbers to go back to work, and maybe just maybe we even open the restaurants, but we say we're going to limit the the number of people that can come in right now. We're going to go back to or Governor Evers was that Friday before he issued his, his safer at home thing. And we're going to say, okay, we're going to limit, you know, the, the number of people, no more than, you know, 30 people in the, in the restaurant at a time or a percentage of what you're allowed under the fire code. Figure that out. And, and then we, we see where it, it goes. And if it turns out that, okay, that was the wrong move. And then all of a sudden you have an explosion of coronavirus cases in Sister Bay, to take my example. Okay, then. Then, then maybe you need to dial it back, and you need to put the restrictions back in. But I think we have to be smart. I think we have to be surgical, and, and we have to start thinking about how we're going to reopen the state in a responsible way. And maybe that doesn't mean one size fits all. Matter of fact, I think you can make a strong argument. It shouldn't be one size fits all. All right, back with more in just a couple of minutes. Matter of fact, last caller was from Door County. I've got a Door County-related topic connected with coronavirus. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you with us. A number of people are saying, okay, we're, we're talking about the process of voting. Who, who, who would you recommend we vote for in this race or, or that race? Um, you know, obviously the state Supreme Court race. There is, a, you know, a night and day difference. You've got a conservative law and order judge, um, Dan Kelly, justice, who, who's running to be elected. He was appointed by Scott Walker. You have a former Dane County prosecutor who's been on the trial bench for a year or two, two years, I guess, two and a half years, uh, Jill Karofsky, who, um, I mean, it, it's the classic Madison liberal versus the conservative. And I guess you can kind of decide who, who you want there. A lot of outside spending, and it's just on both sides. The state Democratic Party has put over $1.3 million into supporting in one way or another the Karofsky campaign. She also has been getting money from, again, a number of the the national type of groups that, again, support liberal causes. Justice Kelly is on the other side. It's a clear contrast, and so that, that's what you could decide. A lot of local races, the Milwaukee mayor's race, I, I think both people are known commodities. You've got Tom Barrett being challenged by Lena Taylor. As I've said repeatedly, one of the things that's interesting to me is I wonder if it wasn't for coronavirus and COVID-19, I, I wonder what this campaign would have looked like. Because candidly, <clears throat> I, I think this had the potential to be an extremely interesting race because Tom Barrett is very, very – you, you want to talk about, like, Teflon politicians. 
Tom Barrett has, has really, if you look at a lot of the stuff that's going on in Milwaukee, whether it's the the crisis involving the, the lead in, in the water or, you know, the other various problems involving, you know, the health system to the unemployment level to the crime issue, and, and the list goes on and on and on, and a lot of the personnel things that have been, you know, huge problems at, at City Hall without even talking about, you know, the trolley. I mean, there, there's all sorts of issues that you, you thought might have emerged in this campaign, but I, either b- because Lena Taylor lacked the money to do it, or because just the nature of the campaigning has changed, we, we really, you know, don't don't have a focus on that, and that's why my guess, and it's just a guess, haven't seen any polling. I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb saying my, my guess is that Tom Barrett is going to be reelected easily, and and if. We weren't in the coronavirus era. Maybe that would be a little bit different. The race for Milwaukee County Executive, and I, I admit that um, since I do not live in Milwaukee County anymore, I, I pay a little bit less attention to it. But regardless of who gets elected, whether it's Chris Larson or David Crowley, you are going to have the most liberal county executive that Milwaukee County has ever had. Now, Chris Larson is way, way, way to the left. Milwaukee County Supervisor, been in the state Senate for about eight years, very, very left-wing. His challenger, more conservative, but certainly not conservative, has the backing of Chris Abley and Chris Abley's group. Um, I don't know how this race is going to turn out either, but I I do think one of the things that, again, there's all sorts of interesting issues here, and I do think that even though neither one of these candidates is conservative, it would have been an interesting dynamic to see how this would have played out if we had had a normal election and you had candidate debates and you had you know, the, the, the typical type of campaigning in the forums, and, and we haven't had that. So, I mean, trying to make a prediction, very, very difficult. All right. Missing baseball yet? Uh, well, we are, too, and we're here to give you your Brewer's Fix. Tune in to WTMJ tomorrow night, next Wednesday, 6 o'clock, for another edition of Brewer's Classic. We go back to the Brewer's magical 2011 run with Game 5 of the National League Division Series between the Brewers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Bottom of the 10th, Carlos Gomez, remember him on second. Niger Morgan, remember him at the plate. Bob Euchre on the call. Tune in next Wednesday at 6 o'clock. That would be tomorrow night. Brewers Classic is sponsored by Dre Camp Heating and Cooling, Boucher Automotive, Previa, and Badger Mutual. I think I mentioned this yesterday. The, the coolest baseball game I've ever been at was the 1982 Game 5 of the American League Championship Series. The Brewers at home, County Stadium, playing the California Angels. That was the coolest game. The second coolest game I was at was that game that we're going to be doing the rebroadcast. Bottom of the 10th inning, I remember sitting in the stands with my buddy Evan and his son Dean, and man, I'm telling you, that place was just absolutely rocking after that win. It was um, it was something else. All right. Sometimes it's the big things that we do to try to get through this coronavirus stuff, and sometimes it's kind of the, the little things. And I think it's making us re-examine some of the ways that, that we have, have done things. Now, I don't go to the grocery stores a lot. I, I don't. Thankfully, my, my wife takes care of most of that, and that, that's fine. But I do acknowledge that when I am out in public now, it's not that I'm trying to be antisocial, but I, I try to keep my distance from people I, I did I, because um, I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want anybody else to be uncomfortable, and I guess I, I don't want to be uncomfortable either. 
And one of the things when you go to a lot of grocery stores, or and, and I guess it doesn't have to be a grocery store, it could be a Walmart, it could be a Costco, you know, you name it, it could be the Handy Andy store, you know, whatever, Target. You, you go in, and as a lot of these aisles that you go down are, are narrow. And I will tell you a true story. Um, last weekend, when I was in one of these stores, I, I'd look down the aisle, and I'd see that there was like a couple or something two-thirds of the way down the aisle. What I would typically do is that, you know, normally you just kind of like walk up behind them and you kind of say, excuse me, and then somebody moves out of the way and you go past. What, what I ended up doing the other day is I, I went around kind of the long way and kind of came in the, the other side. But in a lot of these stores, there's a lot of interaction. Some people are going down one side. Some people are coming up the other side. You kind of pass each other, right? It, it's, it's just sort of the way it works. I have a story here, Kroger. And Kroger, um, that's the national chain that, that owns the pick and saves in metro markets. They're trying an experiment. And, and what they're, they're testing out is they're testing out one-way aisles in an effort to limit customers and employees' exposure to each other and the coronavirus. So right now in most stores, you know, you can go up or down the aisle. That doesn't matter. What they're essentially going to do, and they're starting this experiment not here in Milwaukee, but um, I think they're going to be rolling it out in, in some other markets first, is they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're we're going to say you, you can only go one direction. This, if the store is laid out north and south, okay, aisle number one is going to be everybody's got to head north. Aisle number two is going to be the south aisle. Everybody's got to head south. And so you have to go that way so it avoids having people passing each other going opposite ways. Now, it, it doesn't eliminate completely the idea that you might be side to side with somebody because, again, you know, if somebody's standing there and looking at the cereal and you want to get past them, you're going to have to pass them. But you're not going to be having as much side to side contact. All right, our number. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, again, when we're trying to deal with social distancing, some of the things are big things, some of the things are little things. What about the idea of these businesses, the stores, uh, essentially making aisles one way? And, and there's nothing magic about having to do it in, in the pick and saves in the metro markets. What if the stores just went to that? Okay, this is going to be, you've got the upstairs case, you've got the downstairs case. You've got the up aisle, you've got the down aisle, and that's what we want. We want everybody moving in the same direction. Would that be a good idea? Would you be more comfortable shopping in a store that did that? Or, again, like I say, it, it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to be side-to-side side with people, but it, it might make it a little bit less likely. And especially if you look at a lot of these stores nowadays where the aisles are really, really narrow, all right, might this help social distancing? Would you think it would be a good idea? Would you be more inclined to shop at a store that did this? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One-way aisles. Is it the way of the future? I have to tell you, um, I, I I think it's intriguing. And I guess I'd have to think about the logistics, but off the top of my head, I, I can think of worse ideas. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dave in Bayview. Dave, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm really not sure if the, the one-way aisles would work. It seems like that would kind of be a pain. But I get frustrated. They have all these extra little shelves or baskets with mac and cheese or soups on them that are blocking the aisles. And, and they do this specifically so you slow down and, and probably try and buy more. Right. But to practice social distancing with all this stuff in the aisles is very difficult. What about the idea of, of making that. the aisles one way? No, I, what about the ideas of, of making the aisles one way? I, I don't know if it's going to work. I still think people yeah. just be going in circles. Uh, or they'd try and get back to that aisle if they needed something. Yeah, no, it, it could be. No, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, that's it. I have one of my texts here. My God, Jeff, people can't go and go in the correct door at Quick Trip. Nobody understands signs anymore. Well, you know, I I, I get it, but but maybe if you see there's there's kind of this flow and you put signs up saying you know one way this way, Jeff. These are extreme times that call for outside the box thinking and extreme measures in response. I see no problem with one idea, one way aisles. I wouldn't be opposed to trying this at all. Jeff, the grocery store wants you to use all the aisles, regardless if you need anything in that aisle. Is it for impulse buying? Hmm. Jeff, many stores have started converting to one-way flow through the entire store. Some Walmarts are, are doing that already. I guess, to me, it, it makes a little bit of sense, especially if you look at and I Look, I understand shelf space is on a premium. A lot of the stores I go to, regardless of, of how big they are, they, they just, I mean, they got a lot of stuff crammed in. The aisles are, are narrow. You've got to come close to people. And, and look, I, I'm not saying that this this is the answer or this is some sort of silver bullet but i'm just wondering from a perspective of being uh, people being comfortable right now because i think there's a lot of folks that when you go out in public you just don't want to be near other people you don't want to come into close contact with them if you can avoid it and this might just be an easy way to do that jeff i think you should start to run the aisles one way 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Ray in Wauwatosa. Ray, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good, Ray. What do you think? My thoughts on this, you know, I'm not a person who really likes to be told what to do, but I understand in these difficult times you might have to make an exception. However, in the long term, I think it's going to create a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Let's say I just got out and the item I Well, I mean, thanks for the call, Ray. I mean, look, I, uh, I, I'm not saying that you need to have the store security. So your your situation is, okay, I'm going down the aisle, and I can't decide. I, I I've got I want to I want to buy the Cheerios, and I, I mix I miss the box of Cheerios, and it, it's it's behind me by by six feet, and so you know should should I be able to to go back and grab the box of Cheerios? My answer would be yes, of of, of course, and and I mean I'm not saying that you need to have the store security sitting there and say oh no you 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 can't back up at all to go get this. I, you know nobody says you take it to extremes. At the same time, I guess I look at the look if you put up a sign like this. Most people are going to get it, and most people are going to say, okay, I'm supposed to move you know, in this general direction. And my guess is that if you ask people to do that, 
85, 90, 95% of the people are, in fact, going, going to do that. And, yes, there will be the jack wagon who wants to go the other way. I understand that. Or there will be the person that, you know, backs up or, or whatever. And, and, and I get it, and that's going to happen. But I guess I, I look at this and I think, okay, you know, what? I'm not a person that likes to be told what to do either. But at the same time, you know, we, we – there's a lot there's a lot of other stuff that to me is a lot more onerous rather than simply saying okay you're going to go in the store and we're trying to at least for the time being we're trying to the extent possible reduce and minimize you coming into close physical contact with other people so we'd like to ask you just just go go north in the northbound aisle go south in the southbound aisle and and i think if you made that ask most people would, would say, yeah, within reason. And, again, I'm not going to get bent out of shape if somebody's gone past the, the particular item they need and they got to move back a little bit the other way to grab it. I, I think we would all understand that. But I guess especially if we're trying to get back to some sense of normalcy and get businesses open, which is one of the themes that I've had for the longest time, some of these ideas are just, okay, let's let's see what we can do to get businesses open. And I understand the targets are open and the grocery stores are open, but let's do this. Let's, let's adjust the flow. Are there things that we can do to not eliminate, but, but maybe help reduce coming into contact with other folks so we again continue flattening the curve and to me th- this is this is kind of an easy one and, and almost almost no brainer and actually even if we weren't in the age of coronavirus i think for a perspective of those of us who hate to get into the shopping cart wars and get banged into and stuff like that and some of the grocery stores we go to i think this might be a good idea period back with much more in just a couple of minutes this is jeff wagner wtmj